0: Hello once again everybody and thank you for joining me here on this Tuesday, October 20th edition of ATS Radio. I'm your host Adam Burke. I'm joined by Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. We'll chat some NFL Week 7 and the Zozo Championship at Sherwood Country Club here on today's edition of the show. Lots of great stuff going on over at ATS.io for you to check out. We got sportsbook reviews. We got the top sportsbook promotions for this week, and there are a lot of them. Bet $1, win $100 offers from DraftKings and BetMGM for this week. We encourage you to head over to ATS.io to read up more on those. And as you know here, Tuesday through Friday on ATS Radio, moving Kyle Hunter from Monday to Wednesday. We got Brian Blessing here, of course, today on Tuesday. Thursday's Brad Powers. Friday's Circus Sports Million Picks. So lots of stuff coming your way here throughout the rest of the week on ATS Radio. And with that, we bring on today's first and only guest. That is Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline, contributor to our ATS YouTube page as well. And Brian, how's it going today, man?
1: All right, bud. Listen, uh, last week it was the teenage mutant turtle thing. Okay, Tom and Jerry's good. And I'm sure you think that's what's impressing me today. You couldn't be further from the truth. It's the Nordique hat.
0: Yeah, hey, I and love this hat. It's a the, beauty. The beauty. Quebec
1: Nordique I'm thrilled. The Sabers are going back to their original royal blue uniforms, which are awesome. But the Nordique uniforms, to me, were the best uniform in all of sports. With the flair de Lee, I just I love that that color combination. Though I used to go. This my favorite trip. I used to go with the Sabers all over the place, and there was just something about Quebec City. Go up to La Colise. The games were great. I just, I love Quebec City. That's
0: I've never been, but I've heard from a lot of people that like Montreal is an awesome town. I, I've heard yep. Quebec City is really nice. Um, never been. I've, I've heard it's actually a pretty good party area, too. You know, non-COVID, of course. But uh, I've only heard good things about the area. So I'm not surprised to hear you say that. Even though I'm sure it's been a little while since you've been there. Oh, God, forever.
1: But, uh, no, Montreal is an incredible city. But uh, uh, Quebec City is just was, was fun. I mean, Montreal is much bigger and a lot more to do than Quebec City. I just, there was just something about the uh, those games. The, the jer- I just love their old jerseys. And, and by the way, people forget, those teams were loaded. I mean, they, they had great hockey teams. And I feel, I really do feel bad for the people in Quebec City. They, they had the Matt Sundin. Then they, they get that team and that team's going the right way. The team moves to Denver and wins the cup.
0: Yeah, yeah. Of course, you know that that province, of course, losing the Montreal Expos too, which you know a lot of people wouldn't mind seeing the Expos come back. I don't know if that ever happens, but you know it's definitely be something interesting, and it'd be interesting if the Quebec Nordiques were still a thing because you know you had some breaking news on your uh, sure. Vegas Hockey Hotline show last week about the fact that we may have a Canadian division uh, for the upcoming NHL season. You know, with all the worries about COVID and travel and the borders and all that.
1: Yeah, the the funny thing is, Bill Foley, the Golden Knights owner, he you know he comes in four, five, six times a year. He'll come in and do the radio show. And he threw out this thing about the Canadian division, which people went nuts about. I'm like, well, that we'd heard that. The border's an issue. The border's still closed. Uh, the real thing that he said that was kind of newsy was Gary Bettman, insists full season. But what um, you know, Foley said was, The season likely doesn't start till February 1st. And then because it would be a condensed schedule where he said it could be 60 games, maybe less. And the rationale behind that makes complete sense is if the Olympics are. The NHL would lose their television platform for the playoffs. All the NBC channels would be tied up covering the Olympics. So and they wouldn't know this at the beginning of the year. So they would probably design a compact schedule to be done on the premise that the Olympics are a go. So that, that was kind of the, the, the newsy aspect of it, the shortened season.
0: A lot can obviously change over the next several months and expected to get a vaccine and all these types of things. The Olympics are still an underdog to actually go off, right? I mean, I'd have to think. Uh, I would think it would go. Yeah,
1: in, in the rationale being, all right, yes, we're having another spike and it's not looking good. But the NBA and the NHL pulled off the conclusion of a season in a bubble. So, per se, it was the same mindset, right? The bubble was, quote unquote, like an Olympic village. I mean, if they get now, I mean, it would be the fans, lack of fans aspect. Uh, of the Olympics. And I don't know the IOC is all about money that they make from TV. Then I think it can be done. It's just one of these things that, you know, everybody's got to check in there a couple of weeks before it starts, you test them and then they're in a bubble isn't Isn't that, isn't it the same thing? Isn't the I mean, the hockey was like an Olympic village. I
0: yeah. think they can pull it off. I don't know. It'd be an interesting case study in, in logistics, that's for sure. You know, getting everybody from all these countries all over the
1: world. Yeah, they're coming from everywhere, but I I believe you just got to test them on the front end. Uh, however they change, you know, there's no showing up five minutes before this thing. Any athletes got to get in there two and a half weeks
0: before. Uh, and don't go near anybody. Duh. I mean, I guess the question I would have, and this is obviously way off topic from what we're going to discuss, but the Southern hemisphere really hasn't been hit yet too much. So if that's coming, you know, then, then I don't know, but I don't know. I, it's an interesting thought. And again, like you said, you know, not really something I would have thought about with regards to the NHL season with the fact that, you know, they are starting after the new year. It sounds like one of the other things that fully mentioned on your show was looking at a February 1st start date instead of January 1st. So Yeah, you know, you're going to start running into all these summer things and stuff like that. And the ironic thing is, I don't think the NHL was ever talking about this, but the NBA was discussing, you know, starting the season on Christmas Day to not run through so much of the NFL season. So this may kind of be, and I hate to use this term with everything that's happened with COVID and all the people that have died and all that, but it's kind of almost a, I'm not even going to say it, but it's one of those things for the NBA where now they get to actually, you know, say, look, we tried this and it worked out really well starting the season Christmas Day. It's probably something that they just wind up sticking with now, too. Well, I mean, there's
1: another thing that's in play. Mike Harrington is a great writer for the Buffalo News. He's coming on. We can take care of this now, get it out of the way on Vegas Hockey Hotline. Uh, it's kshp.com. You can listen to it live. It'll be on my Twitter, Brian bless and See, your work is done. You don't have to do this later. Uh, but I was talking to Mike yesterday. And honestly, I mean, it's pretty perilous, but it may be something. What if there are no seasons? And you know, when I was talking to Foley, right now in Las Vegas, gatherings of a venue that can hold more than twenty five hundred people, you can have up to ten percent of the crowd there. So, for example, T-Mobile Arena, eighteen hundred fans can go to the go to the game. I used to work years ago at a small racetrack and when we opened the doors and this is 20 years ago just open the doors to do business the number was something like 35 to 37,000 bucks or whatever it cost just to open the door I mean that was your break even point with you know salary utilities and I, Cameras, the whole, you know, the the cost of doing business for the day back then was, you know, a pretty significant amount of money. How much does it cost to open T Mobile Arena? How much does it cost to open Madison Square Garden? I mean, from the the financials of it, do they just say we're taking a year off? And come back and because I know the goal was that they would come back and get back on the beam, even if you went into August next year and you cycle back to your normal thing. Well, you're not cycling back to anything normal if you're starting in February or or January. Um, I, I wonder. Mike Harrington was saying he and the borders closed. You know, I wonder if there's even a season. I mean, no one's saying that yet, but it's it's something you better think
0: about. Well, the thing where I, I think it would hurt more would be at the minor league level. You know, I mean, you, you've done. got kids that are able to, you know, make the leap from junior uh, or from college to play in the NHL. But, you know, a lot of guys do play in the AHL or, you know, your depth guys play in the AHL. And those are teams that, as we've talked about before, they need the gate. You know, for minor league baseball, well, guys don't come out of college and make the big leagues right away, there's a long development path there. And MLB was already cutting a lot of the minor league teams to begin with. And a lot of these cities, you know, these smaller cities, they need that gate revenue in order to, you know, because a lot of times the MLB teams don't really finance these minor league teams a whole lot. So that's a big consideration going into 2021 is, you know, what happens with the minor leagues? Do we see a lot more NHL guys, prospects, depth guys, stuff like that? play you know the adult leagues over in Europe or you know the KHL or
1: you know what do they do well right now so many teams have loaned their players to the KHL uh, the Swedish league the Finnish league guys are already over there playing hockey now. the NHL teams have loaned their guys over that we did talk about that with Bill Foley you know they just moved an AHL team here and that's owned by the parent club basically okay so they've got deeper pockets but a lot of the Minor league teams are owned by, you know, businessmen that have bucks and it's a nice little, well, they're not going to sit there and go broke on this thing. The only way they make money is on the gate. So the prospects, the HL players, you're probably going to have something where your prospect pool is going to be in the same city with the parent club, at least training and working out. But how these games are even played up in the junior leagues in Canada, I mean, Ontario uh, minister of health said, Oh, the juniors can play hockey, but there'd be no checking. I mean, you know, what I mean, no. listen, and and the prospects have, are already nine months behind the curve, right? I mean, the, the prospects haven't played hockey since the the beginning of March, and they're already so far behind in their development. It's not even funny.
0: Yeah, yeah. You wonder, you know, what, how long? Just like everything else, you know, every other industry that has to recover, you sort of wonder you know, how long it takes all of these leagues, these minor leagues, these junior leagues, these amateur leagues to get back on track. I mean, they're, they're doing what they can. I have a buddy who's a junior B hockey coach up in British Columbia and they're playing. And, you know, obviously things are a, a lot different, but his team also draws extremely well. They do very well at the gate. And you talk about some of these junior teams, you know, they're losing sponsorship money because there aren't fans in their little venues. And those are, that's money that they absolutely have to have because, you know, these are people that, you know, are are teams that are you know owned by people that don't have a lot of money. They just love the game or they've been, you know, fixtures in those towns or something like that. You know, They they can't do business. All right. So we're having all sorts of audio and technical issues here with today's show, trying to put something together to get it out there for you. So we want to talk here about week seven in the NFL and, Brian, we were talking over the first few weeks of the season about looking for overreactions, looking for some spots where some of those lines may have been overadjusted a little bit. The interesting thing is now we're seeing them in week six and now week seven too.
1: Yeah, I mean, the one was the Niners looked so bad against Miami and they were a three-point favorite with the advanced wagering line against the Rams. They looked that bad. Rams get the W on the East Coast. It swings all the way across favorites, all the way to the Rams minus three, and then San Fran shows up again, gets their act together, uh, and kills the Rams. So one week to the next, bud. I mean, okay, Green Bay had a bad day. I mean, is Green Bay awful? Their numbers come way down off the game against Tampa, but the one that makes no sense to me is the advance line was Tampa Bay at Las Vegas, and the game was a pick. Well, usually when a team's coming off the bye – You're giving the advantage to them, getting healthy, extra time to prepare, a little rest. And what happens? Tampa Bay mauls Green Bay. So all of a sudden, they make this a three-point favorite for Tampa Bay. The bottom line is they look good in that game. But if you read the box score, 38-10, to they didn't go up and down the field. And the bottom line was they had short fields, And it was just one of those deals where Rodgers throws the pick six. And it was just, it was a quirky game. It wasn't like Tampa Bay put up a thousand yards of offense. I, I just think it's a massive overreaction. I'm not saying who's winning the
0: game, but I mean, maybe a point, not three. Yeah. Especially when you talk about the importance of a number like three, even still in the NFL with the longer extra point, more two point conversion attempts, stuff like that. You know, three is still an important number, and we are seeing two and a halfs and threes out there in the market so far. And uh, you look, know, John Gruden also thought to be one of the better coaches, certainly one of the better scriptors of offense in the NFL. And you know, seeing that level of disrespect for him and his team when they just beat Kansas City outright two weeks ago is That's pretty interesting. The thing. They
1: beat Kansas City, and and they were a different team because Ruggs was back in the lineup, and they could stretch the field. I mean, I just. I don't get it. I mean, the Raiders did nothing. Yes, Tampa played a good game, but it was, I think, a one off.
0: It was just one of those games. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens with that one here. And there are a couple of other games that we want to key in on. Uh, Again, we're having some audio and and video issues, all sorts of technical problems here on this Tuesday edition of ATS Radio. So I apologize for that, but doing the best we can to get something out here. And One of the games that you and I were talking about through all of these issues we've been having today, Brian, is game 463-464 between Buffalo and the Jets. And this one's predominantly 13 across the market, which, I mean, look, this is a huge road favorite role for Buffalo. On the other hand, that opening game in week one that ended 27-17, one that you've kind of looked back at as saying Buffalo could have won that game running away and think that maybe they make amends this week. It, and
1: again, that was weeks and weeks and weeks ago, but the Jets have basically been the same team. And the Bills lose to Tennessee and Kansas City and and didn't play well in either game. But really, is there any disgrace in losing to Tennessee or Kansas City? I mean, the goofy thing, as bad as the Bills played against Kansas City, they couldn't stop the run. But they had a chance out of nowhere to get the ball back down six and on a third and 13, Jerry Hughes makes a bonehead play, rushes inside. Mahomes runs, loses the edge, and they get the first down and close the game out. But the first game, the final score was 27 to 17. And that is the most misleading score I have ever seen in my life. Now, real quick, Gatling gun going from memory. The Bills were up a gazillion. They were going in for another touchdown. Uh, Allen got hit and fumbled the ball. Then they get the ball back. They go in. Uh, the rookie kicker misses a chip shot field goal. Then it's in the second half, the Bills are going in for a touchdown and they fumble again. I mean, they should have been up, they should have been up about 35, 38 nothing. And then right after that last fumble, uh, Darnold threw a three yard out pass to Crowder and the Bills had like a jailhouse blitz on and two defenders crashed into one another and Crowder ran 85 yards or whatever it was for a touchdown. Uh, You know, it was the most misleading score in the history of football. I mean, that that game should have been 42 to three and okay. I know you go broke in the NFL, you know, laying double digits, but I think the bills are in ill humor. Now they can't stop the run, uh, but let's see. Oh, Le'Veon Bell's not there anymore. They can't run the ball. They can't do anything. The only thing is, is it Flacco or is it Darnold? you know, Darnold can make plays with his feet, but if if it's Flacco,
0: uh, God bless Jamison Crowder, other than him, what do they got? Yeah. I mean, the the one thing I'll say here, by the way, double digit favorites in the NFL since the start of week of uh, 2017, 18, 13 and one against the spread. So 58%, not not a big sample size, but still certainly not that bad in that first meeting. The Bills outgained the Jets by 150 yards, and of course, as you mentioned, Crowder had that one big play. They ran 28 more plays than the Jets. The Bills had eight trips into the red zone in that game, only scored three touchdowns. They were three for eight on touchdowns in the red zone in that game. So as you said, they did everything they wanted. They went into a shell, I think, going up into halftime 21-3. to They probably won't do that this week with some frustration to let out. So I think that is a spot where maybe the overwhelming favorite role there uh, is something that you want to take a look at. Another game to touch on here, 467-468 Seattle and Arizona. Last night we saw Arizona, they played well against Dallas, although Dallas was an absolute dumpster fire of burning tires in that game. Seattle 3-3.5, the number for this one. What do you think about Arizona getting three and a hook at home in this matchup? Well, that looks certainly
1: looks appealing. And, you know, Seattle's unbeaten. Um, You look at their games. They're all close games. Uh, They beat New England 35, 30. New England could have won right at the end. Uh, They beat the Cowboys 38, 31. Uh, They beat the dolphins on the road by eight, one possession game. And then kind of got gifted one against Minnesota, a one point win. Bottom line is Russell Wilson knows how to win football games. And when you're unbeaten, the deeper you go into the season, the pressure starts to mount. But I think there would be that collective sigh of relief. Hey, we're unbeaten. Now let's come back with a new sense of focus. And, you know, Arizona absolutely had their way with the Cowboys. But it's the Monday night winner, the big game, national TV, I, you got Murray running around, making all kinds of plays. Drake's running the ball. I, honestly, I can just see these two teams going up and down the field. I I, I put the under over-under prop on them, um, you know, amount of punts in the game at two and a half.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think this is a really interesting one because, again, you do have this Seattle team that, you know, defensively they are suspect. But as you said, Russ just knows how to win. And, and I think the hook is really important in this game. If it's three – I'm staying off it. If it's three and a half, maybe you look a little bit at the Arizona side. The Arizona defense isn't great either. Now they played pretty well against Dallas, although Dallas, a lot of self-inflicted wounds in that game. Again, I'll be curious to see, you know, are people willing to lay this big number with Seattle? Because as you said, Seattle's been kind of life and death, not only to win, but to cover a lot of these games here uh, early on in the season too. And I've faded Russ three times. I've lost three times, thought about doing it last week. And of course the Vikings do wind up covering, but that's the thing for Seattle. They win, but they don't always do it in the prettiest manner. And so I, I kind of wonder what, if we get a sharp versus public split or some kind of thing like that in that game. Well, the
1: only thing I would say, I'd I'd actually lean to Seattle, to be honest with you. I mean, uh, and yeah, you're right, the hook's a big thing. If it's three, I would play Seattle. And I just think Arizona, uh, you know, it's a short week, could be a bit of a letdown. And I just think this is a good Seattle football team, and maybe we're just, like, throwing an angle that's always out there, out, out the window. And we just talked about it with, you know, Vegas coming off a buy and Seattle coming off a buy. And you look at the market, those two teams are out of sight, out of mind, and people just got done watching Tampa Bay and watching Arizona. And if you're looking at one week to the next or zigzag or being a
0: contrarian, I I think you look at the Raiders and I think you look at Seattle. One other game I want to touch on here quickly and then we'll wrap things up. 469-470 is San Francisco and New England. This is the first time, as you look at New England here, that they've had a line between plus three and minus three at home since Week 16. Uh, or actually, uh, actually, I'm going to have to run that back here for a second. I'm looking at the wrong thing here on Killer Sports. But the fact of the matter is, you don't find a lot of spots here where the Patriots are under a field goal favorite at home. And I know that this is a much different team than what they had with Tom Brady and the heyday and all the primary, uh, you know, players that made New England such a dynasty, but you've got San Francisco going west to east here in a spot where, you know, last week we, we just talked about it. That line had a significant swing to it because confidence, consumer confidence was so low on the 49ers. They win that game. They get Garoppolo back. Things kind of look back to normal a little bit. Can you trust them here going west to east against a Patriots team that you know didn't really play very well against Denver last weekend?
1: It's the exact same topic we had with the Niners losing to Miami, and it swaps favorites where they end up a three-point dog to the Rams and then kill the Rams. The, the advance line for this game was New England minus five. So this is a massive move. San Fran looks good against the Rams. New England looks horrible against Denver. This thing not only moves down three points, it moves through a key number down to two and a half. This is the first time since Moses wore short pants the Patriots have had a losing record this deep into a season. The thing I would say to you, I think there's a chance to make some money on New England. I think New England, if they get the lead, are a mittful. I mean, Newton can make plays with his feet. Their running game is thoroughly inconsistent, but if they got the lead, the dink and dunk stuff works. But New England can't stretch the field. If they fall behind in games, and it was proven out against Denver, it's Newton's going to be hard-pressed to bring them from behind. So I think you play on New England at halftime if they've got the lead, and if they're down, I think you fade them.
0: Well, and uh, to go back through the thing I stumbled over at the top of this breakdown here, uh, the Patriots were a three-point favorite against the Chiefs in Week 14 last year, lost that game outright 23-16. to They were a three-point favorite in Week 7 of the 2017 season against the Falcons. They won that game 23-7. to uh, They were a pick against the Texans at home in Week 3 on Thursday night back in 2016, won that game 27 nothing. Uh, they've not been a home dog uh since what is this uh November 2014 it looks like so you know this is again rare territory for the Patriots you certainly have to adjust to the fact that they're not the Belichick and Brady Patriots that they once were but something that's interesting I think about New England in general is that you know early on in the year we were impressed with them with their defense with what Newton was doing with this new retooled offense and all of a sudden it feels like we've just kind of said eh they're not that good. And maybe this is the week we find out that they are. I don't know. But, again, very interesting to see that line move based off of the the results that we saw last weekend. Well,
1: would you sit here from this point forward saying that the Bills were the team that was going to maybe be the threat to knock New England atop the the, the pedestal of the division champ? Is it a crazy stretch to say right now? it's between the Bills and the Dolphins to win the division?
0: I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think that we've kind of reached a point, too, where for New England, and maybe it's because their quality of competition has stepped up a little bit. I mean, I think Denver's a pretty good team, honestly. I think defensively, they're very good. Offensively, they do have their concerns. But it's almost like with New England now, we're kind of seeing the loss of Hightower and Chung sort of come to the forefront defensively. And then offensively teams have started to scheme a little bit better for them. Now Belichick has to adjust. Maybe he does it this week against San Francisco. Maybe he doesn't, but it is, I think it's a good exercise that we've kind of talked about here, looking at those look ahead lines and then seeing the reactions and the overreactions that come out as a result of that previous weekend's games. So I think that's a really good thing for everybody to get in the habit of doing.
1: And I throw one more thing at you and this happens every year. Um, And it was amazing even through all of Brady's heyday and I'm not, you know, whatever, not knocking them, but it always, it always played out that new England ended up with this ridiculously easy schedule. And even, even if the division had to play tougher teams, they always, they're out of conference games, teams that were supposed to be tough ended up being garbage. The, The crazy thing is what the AFC East teams are playing is a gauntlet. I mean, for new England, you know, coming up here, they've got the Niners at the Bills, okay, at the Jets, but then they've they've got the Ravens, Texans, Arizona, the Chargers, the Rams, and then they get back into the division. The and AFC North, my God, I mean Pittsburgh and Baltimore, these teams should have thirteen wins. They're, they play the NFC East. You know, the the strength of schedule. You see, they go oh, these these guys might be at the end of the year, some team could be 11 and five and go, "Well, they're way better than the 13 and three team because they played nobody."
0: Yeah, no, it's an excellent point. Lots of excellent points here on the show from Brian Blessing, and Brian, I apologize for the technical issues and all the things we've had to put up with here, uh, trying to get something out for our listeners on today's show. I really appreciate you sticking with it. Thank you so much for that. And where can people find you and listen to your fine work? Okay, buddy,
1: KSHP.com. There's a listen live function, noon to two, Pacific Time, Sportsbook Radio, Vegas Hockey Hotline. I'll put the shows up on my Twitter, at Brian Blessing. We do videos for ATS.io. I'll get a preview up for you on the Zozo PGA event at Sherwood Country Club. We'll have that for you coming up. And my sincere hope is, my friend, we've got a space force and we're going to try to put somebody on Mars, and maybe by next Tuesday we'll have the Internet figured out.
0: I certainly hope so. Make sure you head on over to our ATS YouTube page. Brian's got thoughts up on Giants and Eagles on Thursday night, Bucks, Raiders, Steelers, Titans. And then as he said, he'll have something up on the Zozo Championship as well. Brian, always a pleasure. Thank you so much, man. I sincere thanks, especially with all the issues here today. And we'll talk to you again next week. All right, bud. Have a great week. There you go. There's Brian Blessing, again, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline, at Brian Blessing on Twitter. Hopefully everything will go off without a hitch tomorrow when I chat with Kyle Hunter about week eight in the college football season and week seven in the NFL. I'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow
1: with the lucky land slots. You can get lucky just about anywhere.